Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. This is episode number 227. And in this episode, we are going to sit down and talk with Rue McKenrick. And Rue has just finished hiking, backpacking for the last 15 months in his quest to create uh, what he calls the American Perimeter Trail. Um, We're going to get into all this in the episode, but just to give you an overview, the American Perimeter Trail is essentially what it sounds. Uh, It is a 12,000 mile loop that will circumnavigate the continental U.S. And I just think it's it's an amazing, amazing, amazing idea. Uh, super cool. So Rue was just out there for 15 months, basically scouting the trail, scouting uh, possible paths for this trail to traverse. Um, really, really cool. Uh, in this episode, we talk all about his mindset. I mean, you know, COVID basically locked down the country partway through his hike here. And it's you got you just have to listen to to his story there but basically he just locked down his own uh interactions with human beings during it because he felt like he needed to be responsible um while he was out there so basically for three or four months he just had as minimal of human contact as you can uh as he continued to kind of push push on um so we talk a little bit about that. We talk about his mindset, you know, uh, especially with social, big time social isolation during this thing. Uh, but then we also hear about his adventures, misadventures, um, why he's so passionate about this. And something I find really interesting is just um, how creative a project something like this could be. Like you don't necessarily think of backpacking or hiking as a creative outlet um but this trail design and this incredibly long distance through hiking it is it is a creation right so it's creative just just by definition um and it's it's absolutely incredible and just the like flexibility and resilience that you have to have and create and creativity in that sense too to overcome you know everything that's thrown your way as you're setting out to do this is uh spectacular so anyways let's jump into it this is the like a bigfoot podcast number 227 all about the american perimeter trail with rue mckenrick All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm very honored today to be sitting down here with Rue uh, McKinrick. Um, he's the creator of something, or you're in the process of creating something that is just a, a, like a goal of epic proportions. Uh, it's called the American Perimeter Trail. And I mean, I guess you just have to kind of look at a map, but it, it is what it kind of sounds like, right, Rue? Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, we have kind of an informal, unofficial map on our website and on our social media. And that's just a representation of it's it's more of kind of a spec 
to give people a concept and an idea of what's going on because yeah. sometimes sometimes I explain it and uh, the visual kind of just wraps it up yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but mm-hmm. essentially right it's just a, a trail that would make you know you would do a giant loop of the United <clears throat> States that's right and uh, so again like you know if you're looking at the map online just know that's not the um, ultimate route or the route that's going to be maybe 10 years from now or 20 years from now yeah uh this is we've been kind of tracing my steps for the most part and i have parts of the route that i think are really exceptional and i have other parts that i don't like and um i'll be going back to do more scouting and uh change those but yeah. um yeah yeah one thing i think is really cool about this is there's not really going to be like a starting point and an end point, you know, it's basically wherever you jump on the trail, eventually it would lead you back to that, you know, whereas if I'm thinking of like Appalachian trail, you know, you you're heading up to Maine or you're headed down to Georgia and you have this end point in mind. But, but I I think that's kind of cool because it almost makes it like more easily accessible, you know, for anybody who's, who's looking to jump on the trail. And that wasn't by accident. Um, because there is something that's more defining and interesting, even kind of spiritual in a sense that I see when I look at that map or when I think about my travels so far, and it's, uh, metaphorical in the sense that this is a, project that will go on way beyond my lifetime and we look at it in more of an infinite way infinite in the sense that there's endless possibilities because i'm building this from the ground up but also simply like what you stated that there's no beginning and no end and for that reason it's truly infinite Uh, it's to me that represents harmony and in a time where there has been so much political strife and unrest and social unrest in this country, this was something that I felt like I could do that was positive over the past uh, 15 months. Yeah. Um, since I started the trek, that was a link between communities um, instead of a barrier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so yeah, let's, let's get into it. You, you left Bend, Oregon in September, 2019. Um, and you know, it looks like you made it to North Dakota and you're taking a little pause right now. Is that correct? Yeah. So I just, just, uh, just to uh, correct something there real quick. I left in uh, July of 2019. Okay. And, and, um, and yeah, I, I left from my home in Bend, Oregon. And uh, for me, even though the trail doesn't have a beginning or an end, I'm beginning in Bend, Oregon, and then I'm ending in Bend, Oregon. Yeah. And uh, over the last two months or so, um, I've become quite ill, uh, very ill. And I pushed through it for as long as I could uh, till it was reasonable. And um, just... Uh, there were so many factors involved. Um, I mean, I had no idea what 15 months of continuous backpacking was going to do to someone. Cause it's just, it's not something that's typically done. There's not a lot of beta or data around that. So 
uh, yeah, in the last two months, there was a lot of suffering and there was also a lot of help and generosity uh, through different trail communities that I was traveling through. And ultimately, it just got to a point where um, I, I was receiving medical treatment away from home and I just was not getting the care that I needed. So at that point in time, uh, we decided to get me home and get to my doctor so I could see my actual doctor yeah. and have all the, have all the labs and everything run for that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're currently in that process right now of trying to identify, you know, what went, <laughs> what happened yeah. and, and some way in which to get me, uh, stable here. So, uh, so I can continue continue on with the trek yeah well especially like being in minnesota and north dakota and winter is you know almost here at this point i i have to imagine that kind of like played into that decision a bit absolutely because i think so i had been pushing through it in fair weather yeah um and what i'm talking about is like it was an abdominal sickness so most days like there were many days in there where i really could not eat i mean i was forcing food was forcing it uh, which is very counterintuitive to any backpacker because we you know we typically think of a backpacker who's ravenous yeah and they will eat anything in sight (laughs) and i was i mean i was forcing like i would force a snickers bar down if i could and still hike 20 to 25 miles and um it just, there was a lot of vomiting and it, you can just imagine the gross stuff that was going on. It was gross yeah. many times a day. Um, yeah. oh, man. and like I said, this, this went on for several weeks and, um, you know, I just kept on thinking this will get better. This will change. Everything changes. Nothing's permanent. Um, and so I got some medical attention and, you know, I was advised at that point in time that I needed to take a couple weeks off or that I needed to go home and uh, see my doctor and get the correct labs and um, take some time off. And the doctor looked at me and she said, you're not going to do either one of those things, are you? And I said, no. (laughs) And she said, okay, well, then we're going to put you on these medications and send you on your way. And so that's what I did. And so I pushed through for a couple more weeks. And um, it was just, you know, at some point in time, I had to take her advice. Yeah. Because it was it was just progressively turning into uh, not just a physical issue at that point in time, but an emotional issue, and just uh, it, it was just it was too much for me to take at that point in time. And then it was exacerbated by the fact that um, North Dakota started breaking record uh, record low temperatures, oh. and it started snowing started snowing a lot. And in the words of okay, this is going to get gross. I, just excuse me, but I'm going to go there because. <laughs> Well, I want to be a real person, you know? Yeah. So, um, so, uh, you know, in the words of my one friend, who's a doctor, she said, listen, Rue, like if you're going to go up there in the Rockies and this, like in the snow, like at least die in like some kind of cool way, like something sexy, like, I don't know, get in a fight with a bear or something, (laughs) but don't, but don't like go up there and like, I was too sick, yeah. you know, to move. And so I just died from purging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, she's you like, don't want she's that. Like, at least, she's like, at least have it be something kind of neat. <laughs> 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 and, uh, and there was some truth in that. I mean, she was, it was tongue in cheek, you know, and, um, yeah. 
but then there was also some truth to that as well. Yeah, man. Wow. That is, that is wild. I, it's kind of interesting though. Cause I feel like right now you are almost using this little pause as like an opportunity. Uh, you just told me you had like a bunch of interviews this morning. Uh, I saw online that, uh, backpacker magazine just did like a photo shoot with you, <laughs> which I want to hear about by the way. But, uh, but it's cool. Like I like how you're using it kind of as an opportunity to kind of spread the word about this project. Well, ultimately, I mean, that's my, my goal. Um, fantastic to be able to have this opportunity and this experience that I've gotten to have over the last 15 months. Yeah. But that is just the beginning of this thing. I mean, this is my life's work and, uh, and I have others joining me and, um, this is, you know, the short term was the hike. Um, the long term is the conservation effort. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to get, kind of get into that? Like, Sure. What, what's what's some of the goals uh, with that as you're creating this? Well, I mean, just to set kind of like a baseline, you know, the mission of the American Perimeter Trail Project, um, we're creating a protected corridor of land and natural resources um, that are available for recreational use. And it roughly, as we said, traces the perimeter of the contiguous United States. And, uh, you know, part of our vision is to try to connect the land and the resources and the people and communities. It's very much kind of a family-friendly effort. Um, and we're striving to uh, encourage conservation efforts through recreation. So what that means is basically the recreational piece I mean, if you're looking at us as an organization, yes, on the face, it appears to be a recreational organization. But with, in truth, we're a conservation movement. Um, without the conservation, you simply just don't have the recreation. Yeah. So, but, uh, th but the way uh, we found that like people get very interested is through the recreational piece and the experiences that they get to have uh, within those wild areas. Yeah, so, I mean, that makes sense. Like yeah. if you visit the area, kind of fall in love with the area or the trail, you're obviously going to want to preserve it and protect it uh, with, because you have all of these like strong memories associated with it. Absolutely. And that's been my experience too. Um, I, you know, my, I've, I've hiked, I've through hiked a bunch of different trails and I guess most notably was the Triple Crown and that's the Appalachian Trail. Um, the Pacific Crest Trail and the Continental Divide Trail. And, you know, I started doing that 20 years ago as a young man, a very young man. And uh, absolutely, I already had it in my heart. Uh, conservationism was already a place in my heart, but it was, uh, came, it, it, it blossomed um, with those experiences that I had uh, being in it. <laughs> yeah. Being of it you know, being part of it. Yeah, man. Well, what I did want to ask you a little bit about your background. Mm -hmm. I know you've talked about this in other interviews. Um, I, but I intentionally like didn't do a lot of research just about your background. Cause I wanted to hear it from you. Um, I know you're a triple crowner, but what, 
what kind of drew you to these long trails, these long backpacking experiences? What was it about it that really uh, got you interested enough to actually like go out and do it? Yeah, I want to be honest with you here because I I know often because I'm asked this question and I don't want to tell you like a story about, I mean, I've done this in the past, like a story about when I was a kid or experience I had growing up. There's many people in my family and I have brothers that had the same experience as I did growing up uh, and they're not long distance backpackers. So, yeah. so there, I mean, there's the environmental aspect of growing up by the Appalachian trail and spending time there in the Appalachians growing up. So I had, and that was in Pennsylvania. Okay. So, so I had access to that. Um, you know, I was not brought up backpacking. Uh, I got the opportunity to take some canoe and camping trips when I was younger. Um, you know, my favorite time of the year was usually summer camp uh, because it was in the Appalachians. So I think this has an influence, but really, mm, if I'm honest, all of it is kind of like, don't get me wrong. The experience informs the decisions that I've made going forth. I never intended on hiking the triple crown. Yeah. I had no intention of that whatsoever. I think that's more of a more contemporary, uh, something that's happened in the last 20 years where people set out to hike the triple crown. Um, like 20 years ago, I don't remember anyone decidingly think, you know, making a plan to hike the triple crown it was usually it came into their consciousness that they they had a thought about through hiking one of the trails from yeah. the triple crown and then if they had a you know if they had a, a good life experience with that then they made uh, plans and and uh arrangements to hike another trail and you know if they had a good experience with that then <laughs> You know, that's kind of what happened to yeah. me. It was like, I finished the Pacific Crest Trail, and then I was like, I wasn't motivated to hike the Triple Crown. I, re I really didn't care. I just wanted to be in the Rockies for a couple months Yeah, doing what I love. I mean, that was the major motivation. Where the origin of that is, is hard for me to pinpoint. But, yeah, I that was my main motivation was just... You know, it's like, it's as simple as, for instance, John Muir, you know, he has a, one of his famous quotes are, the mountains are calling and I must go. Oh yeah. That's on the beginning of every like YouTube hiking video. <laughs> yeah. And I don't mean, I don't mean to be cliche about it, but <laughs> it's kind of like that. It's so true though. I mean, I get it too. I'm like, yeah, man, he, he just like in the most simple terms ever, just explained it and you're like yeah it's that right. and if and people get it or if they haven't had the experience then like once they have the experience they'll totally get it <laughs> you know and and i know like back then um I, it's kind of like i mean when i hiked the triple crown so we didn't no one had smartphones yet and we didn't have phones on us yeah so um i i know there wasn't like uh I never had like this fantasy of, well, I'm going to be popular um, in some way, or, you know, I'll be able to wear this on my sleeve and be proud of it. Yeah. 
it was really just the calling into the mountains. It was just my soul just screaming to me, just calling me there. Yeah. <laughs> and so I went. <laughs> there was nowhere else to be. <laughs> That's awesome, yeah. man. What is that experience like where you're on one of these long trails for months and months and you're just completely, I mean, obviously you're, you're, there's a big, there's like a community aspect, but you mm -hmm. are disconnected from, you know, the world and what, what may be happening in the country and things like that. Like, what's that experience like? Okay. So just to give you some background there, um, the last person I backpacked with and camped with, now I did have a, uh, a magazine reporter from Backpacker come out and spend a couple of days with me. Oh, we didn't cool. hike together. Um, we didn't. He flew in and um, met me, and we didn't hike together, but we did camp together. Okay. And, um, but up until then, the entire trip, I had not hiked or camped with anyone since uh, Northern California, wow. or Central California. So it had been, um. It was over a year before I hiked or camped with anyone. I didn't see a backpacker the whole way through the south, uh, the southwest and the southeast. I didn't see another backpacker coming up the whole eastern seaboard in the Appalachians, or a day hiker. That's amazing. Um, That's awesome. And and I wasn't aware of things. I crossed the Mississippi into uh, a tourist town called Natchez. Mississippi or Louisiana, excuse me. Uh, oh gosh, I'm getting Mississippi. Excuse me. And uh, I walked into town, and they usually have a huge festival that time of year with people all through the streets. And there were no cars, and there were no people. And I was like confused. Like I'm like, is it Sunday or something? Yeah. Or I I just I was not clear what was going on. And as I walked down the street. I noticed that they had a lot of uh, fantastic restaurants there and all of them had these signs on it. So I went up and read the one sign and it said like the restaurant was closed uh, due to the coronavirus. And I was like, oh no. And then the next one and then the one after that. And it all happened within the course of a weekend. I mean, it was like things were open a couple days earlier and then yeah. they were shut down. Wow. Uh, if you remember that. I do, and, man. That was uh, wild. Yeah. And, and so I didn't, you know, I called the coordinator, Layla Grace, and was like, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> what happened? Yeah. Uh, so so I was kind of out of the loop in some of those things. Uh, she did a really great job of trying to keep me informed. And at that point in time, we decided to, I created a methodology. Uh, it's based on traditional backpacking, and I just called it social isolating at that point in time. And it's broken into two sets. It's broken into hard skills or technical backcountry skills okay. and also soft skills or interpersonal skills. So it's those two sets. And the hard skills are things like the cape, you know, having being able to read map and compass, being able to navigate off trail, um, being able to find fresh water sources, like if your filter breaks, because I knew I wouldn't be able to do anything about it. Um, yeah knowing um knowing like some survival skills were part of that um because we just were not clear on what was going to happen the yeah. soft skills were more the soft skills were more like 
being able to separate yourself from society and any social contact, uh, including social media or speaking on the phone. I wasn't able to recharge my phone there for a couple months, so I would turn it on five minutes a day. And if I couldn't get done what I needed to do in that five minutes, I would turn it off. And that was it. So we started rationing everything. We chose standalone post offices that weren't attached to towns. So they um, were, there's standalone post offices all over the country where you'll come to the, like this small post office and there, there won't be anything attached to it. It'll just be down this road in the middle of nowhere. And so we purposely sent my resupply there and I didn't go to any stores. Um, I didn't go to any restaurants. I didn't go to any towns. I didn't hitchhike like for resupply. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have a shower for a couple months. Um, I didn't have any laundry for a couple months and I didn't have any hot meals uh, for a couple months because we weren't resupplying fuel. So during that time, my experience was that I would just go once a week, I would walk to one of these post offices. I put on protective gear, um, go in and grab my box and then I would leave. And if what I needed wasn't in that box, like a toothbrush or toothpaste, then uh, I went without. So, I mean, there was, I remember the one week in there scrubbing my teeth with, um, there's a traditional way of using uh, either wintergreen or um, birch, black birch, um, using the sticks of that to scrub your teeth. So I remember there was a week in there where I didn't have a toothbrush or toothpaste, so that's what I used during that week. And that would be, you know, that would be part of the subset of hard uh, or hard skills or back technical backcountry skills. And I knew like when I went into isolation like that, that I was only going to see a postmaster once a week and my resupply was going to be heavy. You know, it wasn't going to be like the normal two day resupply on the Appalachian trail. Um, It was going to be seven days. So that was kind of the experience during that time. I didn't see anyone on trail. I actually made my own route up through the Western side of the Appalachians. Okay. I never, I never stepped on the Appalachian trail ever. Wow. And, and the reason for that, the original yeah, plan the, was yeah. to go on the Appalachian trail, correct? Um, you know, Somewhat. I made decisions. Yeah. Okay. So I made decisions week to week okay. um, as I went. So that was always going to be part of it. Um, I knew, and it wasn't even week to week. I made decisions sometimes just when I got to a crossroads, like, <laughs> you know, two, two paths diverge in a woods. Yeah. And, you know, I would take one of them. And so I didn't always know, which was difficult for the coordinator, Layla Grace, because she's trying to keep up with it and yeah. send me resupply. And I can't always tell her where I'm going to be in a couple of days. <laughs> um, well, that's the beauty so, of creating the trail though, right? Like you get to kind of make oh, it up absolutely. as you go. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think like, so the reason I didn't go on the Appalachian Trail was twofold. First, the Appalachian Trail Conservancy asked people to stay off the trail yeah. and not to be hiking on it. So I told our contributors and I made a promise that I wouldn't get on any closed trails. I wouldn't put my life in danger and I wouldn't put anyone else's life in danger. I don't have a strong stance on that. It's just something that I committed to. And then yeah. Whatever that meant, however that came down the pipe, then I dealt with the consequences of making that decision. Um, I, And then the other part was I probably wouldn't have used the Appalachian Trail the whole way up the eastern seaboard anyways because um, 
because it wasn't informative for the long-term project. Okay. Um, I have a lot of Appalachian trail miles, uh, besides the through hike, you know, uh, many of those States I've done twice or three times. Okay. So, so yeah, so you were, yeah. were, were you almost like, I've already done this. Like I know what this is. So I need to explore some other trails just, you know, in case there's a better route. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So like I said, it wasn't really, it wasn't real informative for the long term. Now, by the time I did get to Georgia, I, I admit um, it had been months, uh, like I said, without any kind of community because I was going, when I would resupply um, before COVID, I would, they were non-trail community towns. So people were not always amenable um, because they just didn't, under, they didn't know what I was doing. To, to them, I wasn't a long distance backpacker. I was a stranger. Yeah. Um, and so it was, there was some stranger danger that went on there. And so after, you know, months of not hiking or camping with anyone, and then also not always being very welcomed, um, in certain places, um, I really felt for my own emotional health that it was going to be the time to spend some time around. And it was selfish, you know, it wasn't this, this was merely selfish of me to, to just want to spend at least some time on the Appalachian trail to yeah. be around uh, other backpackers and go into some trail communities where I didn't feel like everybody's eyeballs were on me. And um, so I probably wouldn't have used the whole Appalachian trail, um, but I may have used parts of it and weaved in and out. Yeah. Um, just, just, for my own <laughs> emotional health. <laughs> um, um, I want to, I want to hear a little bit more about that. Like how, how did it feel walking through? Cause you get done with the PCT or the Western side of the trail and then you're cutting across uh, the South, but there's not, I mean, I guess you could, you could explain this. Like, is there a, a couple like longer trails you're connecting there or what, what is that like? I think going forward, there's probably going to be, okay. um, again, like some trails that are some of the areas where the trails, uh, there's a lot of information about them and they've been hiked again. It like wasn't as informative to the long-term project. Oh, so, gotcha. so sometimes I would just not take a route that was, um, that there's more information out about, even if I haven't hiked it before, but yeah, I mean, in the Southwest, uh, there are some ways to connect some of the trails. They don't run into each other. Um, that's not really what I did. I used the Arizona trail for part of it. Um, not the whole trail, just part that I needed for the route that I was doing. Okay. Um, and, uh, like a lot of that. So, I mean, as far as the decision goes, like you were talking about the planning, when I got to Southern California, and I mean, before I left, I thought I would just start heading east yeah. and kind of go down closer to the border and just start following the border east. And that's not what I did at all. I got to Southern California and for some reason, I just was like, wanted to go up to Death Valley. I don't know why. <laughs> I can't say I have no idea why. And I'd already passed it. Yeah. So I had to turn. I didn't backtrack on my steps. Like I didn't 
retrace my steps, but I did turn around and go back up north. So I'd already come south, and I turned around and went back up north um, through Death Valley, which I'm not publishing that route because I don't want I don't want people to try it. Um, it's just too dangerous, or it's it's just too dangerous. I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah, there's ways there's ways of getting through there, but um, many people have contacted me and asked me how I did that and were interested in one of the routes. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I just, I'm not going to be responsible. Yeah, man. Well, and you're a, you're a such an experienced backpacker with thousands and thousands of miles of trails under your belt. And just that like almost is terrifying to even imagine someone who, you know, may not have that much experience going out there and, you know, it's, it's called Death Valley for a reason. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, for its namesake. I mean, it says it right there in the title. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, I just didn't feel, I haven't given that information and I'm not going to because it's just, I don't think it's, I just don't think it's wise. If that's something you want to do, um, my I tip my hat to you. Yeah. Um, but it's not something that I want to be really engaged with. But, uh, and then I headed over to the, Grand Canyon. I had no intention of doing that, but I got through Death Valley and then Red Rock Canyon and south of Las Vegas. And I just decided I was going to head over to the Grand Canyon. And there I picked up the Arizona Trail okay. and started heading south from there. Um, going in New Mexico was pretty much the eastern part of Arizona and New Mexico was mostly all cross country. Okay. And what I mean, what I mean by that is it was on public land, but there wasn't a trail. So, uh, so I was just finding my way through there. And I did that with map and compass going through that area. Um, and again, I'm not real thrilled with the route that I did in New Mexico. I have a better route and I'm going to go back, uh, there and scout the other route out. And, the main reason being just that, in my opinion, my route was too close to the border and it was stressful. It's not really the experience I want to put out there for our organization going yeah. forward. Uh, there's just a lot of activity on the border and it didn't feel like a, like a very safe place or it just was not kind of the wilderness kind of experience that I was looking for yeah um yeah what and um when yeah did you eventually get to anywhere where um it's mostly private land and not no longer public yeah i can speak to that so um you know most of the time when i got stopped by law enforcement it wasn't because i was on private land um there usually wasn't like a reason given but um i certainly was stopped by border patrol often um, and then I was stopped by law enforcement pretty often and that gave me pause going into Texas. And the reason for that being is Arizona is almost 80% public land. And so what that means, like anywhere in this country, if you go to a national forest, unless it's permitted in a different way or has special, um, uh, designation for permits, generally you can, uh, camp a thousand miles away or a thousand feet away from a road and a thousand feet away from the stream. Yeah. And I think you can stay 10 days or something. Don't quote me on that, but it's, 
other in other words you're free to camp there and of yeah. course you have to use leave no trace principles but um and then arizona uh uh or new mexico as well there's a large vast piece of blm land and also uh forest service land in new mexico so again you have a lot of public land to work with when you get to texas that entire landmass um, only 1.2% of that entire landmass is public. Wow. Which means if you decide to traverse that, you're going to be on private land almost all of the time. So I had several people uh, contact me about Texas. Like, how in the world did you do that without just staying in hotels every night? Or, um, you know, typically people have someone run support, like a support vehicle for them. Yeah when they're running across Texas or when they're walking across Texas. Yeah. So basically I, mm, you know, I've kind of freelanced camping on the daily. Yeah. I didn't know from one day to the other. Uh, if I was walking through like West Texas is still desert um, and it's mountainous. I know people are like, there's no mountains in Texas, but the, in West Texas there is. And so through those areas, I mean, it, it might be like flagging down a pickup truck that was coming down a dirt road or something and saying, hey, do you know the people who own this? Yeah. Or does anyone own this? Yeah. Because I'm not sure. I'm looking at my map, and I think it's public, but I don't know. And and sometimes they would be like, oh, no, we own that. Yeah, sure, just go camp. And I'd be like, I'm not going to start a fire. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, and just uh, like a funny fact, a friend asked me this uh, yesterday. He was like, how many fires did you start on the trek? And the answer is zero. No. So, yeah, zero fires. And it wasn't my mission to do that. Yeah. Um, you're, you know, you can use leave no trace principles and start a fire. Um, it just it just didn't happen. I guess I never even thought about it until they asked me about it. Yeah. But, um, That's amazing, so, man. Te- so, 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 <laughs> so Texas was just... Um, trying to make sure that I didn't have conflict because of the private land issue was just a daily, it had my attention daily. Yeah. You know, did it you, was a challenge that came up daily. Did you find that stressful? Like not knowing every night where you're going to stay? Uh, when it got dark, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, man. Uh, You're really like in the moment then. You're like, I'm not going to stress about this until I have to stress about this. That, you know, there was no other way of doing it. it. I mean, I guess you could. Maybe you're a really good planner and you could plan things out through there. Um, I took it day by day and minute by minute. And uh, yeah, I wasn't going to bother myself with it all the time i just kind of had this faith or trust that it would be okay it would work out i only got shot at once that's good man (laughs) yeah i only got shot at once (laughs) how did that happen um so i was um you know this was kind of like still kind of a desert dry wide open area some of those ranches are the size of states yeah. I mean, there's just these huge ranches there and they're of course, private land. Um, and I came to like a, a restaurant and it was, 
again, standalone. There was nothing around it. There wasn't a gas station. There wasn't a town. There wasn't anything in that area. There was just a restaurant there. I guess it was kind of like if you were on a road trip, people would stop because it was a good halfway point or something. Yeah. And I went in there and just asked. They had a bunch of land around the restaurant, and um, I just said, you know, hey, I, I want to buy dinner, um, but uh, is it okay if I camp here? And they were like, yeah, of course. They're like, you can camp out back. Uh, in fact, that's where everyone parks their RVs, and that's where people usually camp and such. So it's like, okay, great. And they're like, well, do you want to just go? It's getting dark, so do you want to just go set up your camp, and then you can come in and wash up and eat? And I was like, that sounds fantastic. So I went out back, set up my camp, and I had just gotten done setting it up. Um, and I think it was like zipping something on the tarp or something. And uh, I was bent over and I heard a shot right over my shoulder. <laughs> That's crazy. And, yeah. And I knew it wasn't like I was bent over and I knew it came right over top of me and I knew that it wasn't someone just shooting guns off somewhere. I knew that was for me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I turned around with my hands up in the air and I saw a guy sighting me through a rifle. What? And I, and I, he was ready. I mean, he was, <laughs> had me in the crosshairs and I just said to him, Hey, Hey, listen, I, I don't know what's going on here. I think there's been a misunderstanding. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, well, you know, I told him I was camping. He said, well, you're not allowed to do that. And I said, sir, I'm really sorry. I talked with the lady inside yeah. the restaurant. She said, this was fine. And he said, well, nobody told me. And uh, I was like, listen, I'm sorry no one told you, but that doesn't change the situation. Like, yeah. put the gun down. That's... <laughs> and uh, wow. he just kind of stuck. He stuck to that line of nobody told me. And uh, I that was enough for me. I didn't get dinner. I just I packed up my camp. <laughs> I mean, I could have I could I could have stayed he, when he understood there was a misunderstanding, he wasn't making me leave, but I had had enough. You're like, so I just you know, I don't know if I'll stay where a uh, human being shot at me. I don't know. Yeah, no, I I was, I had lost my appetite. <laughs> <laughs> you should have went back in the restaurant and found the person that told you you could stay there and be like, you didn't, you didn't think to tell this guy, like with the gun? I, I, <laughs> yeah, I think it was his wife. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> Or that was her husband. Yeah, yeah. I so he like owns the happened. land as well. Right. I'm sure it turned into a domestic dispute after I left. Yeah. But, um, wow, so, man. So there, so that was not uh, my usual experience. I mean, let me yeah, reiterate. That's the one that I stands out. That, but how many people like out. really welcomed you and, and, and helped you along the way? all the time it yeah. was just more difficult in non-trail communities yeah i see so, what you're saying so so what i mean by that is like you know any of the long trails that are part of the triple crown those towns where people resupply in yeah um they're used to seeing backpackers um that's just part of their culture it's part of their economy as well so they often are very welcoming but i was in places where um no one is familiar with this kind of culture yeah. or activity and that was the the large difference i mean i i had a reporter ask me like did you look shady like <laughs> <laughs> you know was your hair like all weird You're like dude i didn't like... shower for a while of course i did yeah no 
this is like, did you have like political stuff like all over your pack or something? And I was like, no, no, I had a, I, I remember having a Texas flag on yeah. my backpack. Like I did that in most states I would go through. I thought it was fun. Yeah. Like get a little, get a little flag from that state. It was yeah. fun for me. Yeah. Um, to do that. So how did you explain to people like if people like, hey, what are you doing? You're like, well, I started in Oregon and now I'm down here. Like, how did you how did you go about that conversation? Um, I rarely did. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. When most people would ask me, they're like, cause people, I don't know, uh, like a lot of times people would ask me, where did you come from? And I would just tell them where I camped the night before. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea. Um, that's typically what I did. Um, some people would ask me where I started and sometimes I was general about it. I don't know if it was just that I was so out. I, I don't know if it was that I was uh, so alone for so long yeah. that I just couldn't manage the attention. I'm not sure. Yeah. I've always been that way. I mean, I've had friends for quite a few years that didn't have any idea that I was a triple crowner. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just not something that I normally talk about. I mean, part of me speaking with you today and like the interviews that I'm, I'm doing, it's because I do everything for the APT yeah. and, I, and, I, and I'll do anything in my power, but it's not my go-to. Um, I, I don't feel compelled really in that way. Um, I've always just kind of been generic about things, but sometimes people would push me and then I would tell them I was from Oregon and uh, they would think, like when I was in the Midwest, they would think like Oregon, Michigan, you know, like, cause it's towns named Oregon all over the place. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, um, but sometimes people would push me and I think what, I think in part why I normally just didn't wear any of that stuff on my sleeve was because when people approach me and they start to give me their resume I feel like sometimes it creates a separation between the two of us. Yeah. And I don't want to encourage that in relationships or even just meeting people in my life. And often I would find that I wanted to meet someone where they were and for them to meet me exactly where my feet were planted, not where I've been or what I have done, but presently, you know, so we could be in the present moment together and uh so there wouldn't be that separation of well you do this and i do that or i vote this way and you vote that way or just these separations between us so i found often like you know if i would walk up to someone and just start giving them the resume um often it wouldn't turn them off but the dynamic would change and suddenly it becomes something else i become this other thing um, instead of just a person meeting them, yeah. you know, where, where we're at. And I don't like that separation. And especially because I was so alone, I wanted, I yearned for that true human connection. And so I know that's a long winded answer, but in part, I usually just didn't address it. Yeah, no, I like that. That's, that's a, that's a really, that's probably something that you can really, truly process and develop by just being by yourself for for so long oh yeah yeah you know? whereas like when you're constantly around people and whatnot you just don't have the opportunity to 
really sit back and consider like, oh yeah, how do I handle these interactions and things like that? You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there is the other side of the coin with that. You know, when, you know, I haven't seen my friends or family in 15 months. And so recently I got to see some friends uh, for the first time. I mean, it was all strange faces uh, going through this trek. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I've had friends ask me questions and, and, you know, one of my answers uh, the other day was, you know, like they asked me, how are you doing? And I'm like, I haven't even seen myself in months. Yeah. And what I mean by that is when I look into someone else's eyes, I see a reflection of myself and I'm looking into the mirror. And so part of spending long periods of time by yourself is you do not have that reflection you have an ego that is um either telling you that you're the greatest or you're the worst (laughs) or something in between yeah um but there's no information coming in that's balancing that so you can get really off the beam one way or the other man i i have to tell you and i i mean obviously you experience this on like a much greater level but mm-hmm. I was telling you before the podcast uh, that for a year I was a stay-at-home dad. And I was a stay-at-home yeah. dad with a two-and-a-half-year-old and, like, a newborn, right? So you're not, like, mm-hmm. actually talking to anybody. And I have to say, like, that whole talking to yourself and, and like, certain ideas just gaining momentum that are, like, completely kind of wild and untrue, like, that... Yeah, that can happen within like a week <laughs> for somebody. You know what I mean? Like it, I remember it would happen to me where I would get really hung up on something and um, and then I would think back to it like a week later. I'm like, that was a pretty ridiculous thought. And yet I was like so stuck on it for a long time. So it's a in a weird way. I, I can somewhat relate to that. But but is there a point where you're by yourself for so long you actually learn how to deal with that and recognize when that happens um you have to reach out yeah so i mean uh you can self-correct part of navigating off trail is not that you go from point a to point b it's a constant self-correction so you head in this direction and then you correct and you correct and you correct and you continue to you know it's not this perfect uh process it's just you're constantly self-correction it doesn't mean you're going the wrong way it just means you're changing uh direction and so for me it's kind of when my mind uh would be heading in certain directions i would self-correct i had to do a lot of self-coaching out there and some of the coaches weren't very nice (laughs) you know like especially early in the morning when it's dark and snowing <laughs> like that coach was not nice he was like get up get up you know yeah get Come up on, man. <laughs> drop and give me 20 <laughs> and uh uh but there's like you know at that point in time with your mind and your process you can self-correct to a certain extent um i found it helpful that when i got into spots to contact someone and just give them a perfect view as best as I could actually I shouldn't say perfect but a view into my mind that was honest and a view into my heart that was open and then 
they could reflect, help me, yeah. not tell me what to do or make decisions for me, but they could reflect back maybe some truths that in the space they were in, they were grounded enough to help me with that. Yeah. So I think that's imperative. And, you know, your example uh, that you're talking about being at home uh, with the kids and stuff is spot on. And yeah. uh, I, I'm glad we were able to relate in that way. Well, and I do think a lot of people can kind of get hung up on that, especially right now. I mean, you know, with with uh, the quarantine and social distancing and stuff, I mean, you can get you can work yourself into a zone where you're not what's going on in your head might not necessarily be the truth of what's like actually happening, you know? Sure. Yeah. And I then, mean, I've seen, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I remember witnessing a backpacker once that had spent some time by himself and, um, you know, you can really work yourself into I'm worthless, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm not worth this, I, I, you know, feeling bad about yourself and no one's there to help you with the reflection or, it can be, I am like amazing. <laughs> I'm a superstar. And, you know, I watched this person. They had been like, like I said, alone for a while. So they had kind of worked up this, I'm amazing. I'm a superstar. Everyone's going to love me because I did this. Yeah. And, and then they finished and it kind of all came crumbling oh, no. down. Like, oh no. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, that man. wasn't re That was a fan. I was fantasizing. I was daydreaming. Yeah. And, and I like daydreaming. I, I, I enjoy it, but there's a point where if it's not challenged that it's, it's, it's not healthy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, man. Yeah. Well, so, so I liked your strategy of, you know, recognizing that and calling some someone to just have a chat with um what what other like what were some other ways you handled isolation like are you are you kind of a type of person who can handle you know bouts of isolation pretty well or was this like a huge challenge for you okay so it's an absolutely a huge challenge okay um Am I a person that, like, during my normal life, do I spend most of my time alone? Yes, yeah. I do. So so I knew going into it that I was already had a propensity to that. So it wasn't going to be new. Um, and on other long trails, I mean, I've hiked, I've hiked by myself alone uh, plenty of times. And so it wasn't new. Um, this was next level. Yeah. Okay. This was really next level stuff, the duration and just going through non-trail communities and the, you know, it was already before the pandemic, I'd already been alone for months Yeah. and in non-trail communities when I had the resupply. Yeah. And then the pandemic just kind of boosted it to a whole other level. I became concerned um, when I came up with the methodology of how we as an organization were going to provide safe passage for me, but also safe patch passage uh, for people in the communities around us. Yeah. Um, and I read up a little bit about what happens to people in social isolation. And it's just to be generic here. Um, I mean, people can read up on it as they want, but uh, typically uh, what will happen is anxiety and depression and some other things, some other symptoms may come up 
And this is just part of the human experience. We are herd animals. Um, we are social creatures. And I knew that going into the pandemic. Yeah. I was concerned about it. I was hoping to avoid it. Um, I didn't think I was special or superhuman or not human or inhuman in any way. I was hoping that the awareness around it would kind of lessen the punch and it didn't, Yeah. you know, after, after a couple months, I became symptomatic of social isolation Yeah. and, and, uh, I accepted it and I moved on. Yeah. I didn't like it. Um, I didn't like starting to feel depressed. Um, I didn't like starting to have anxiety, um, not feeling safe, you know, um, I didn't like that. Uh, but I signed up for it and I wasn't interested in being a martyr. And I have such a big heart for people, you know, who, who struggle with these issues, isolated or not, Yeah. just in their emotional and mental health. Um, I have such a big heart. And, and the reason I speak about this openly with you right now is because I don't want people to feel like they can't be open about their feelings and their experience because at the end of the day, there is only one. We are all one here and we are all having the human experience. Yeah. And, and, uh, I, you know, I, I don't look, I don't, I don't, I don't like the stigmatism, I guess, um, no. that would come with that. If people's people are feeling, a certain kind of way. I managed it as best as I could during that time. Uh, as far as the coping, by the time I got to like basically Michigan, uh, we reached out and things that started opening up at that time, everything opened back up. Yes. So, so we started to change my practices a little bit and um, let it be known to our community that it would be good for me to be around some people and to have some wholesome meals and yeah. some rest. Yeah. And so, and boy, did the North country trail uh, community and uh, the superior hiking trail community come in and just helped guide me the whole way through all of that. And that was a huge way of coping in a healthy way. Yeah. Um, that's, that's awesome. Did you kind of mm -hmm. look at like, when you walked into that town and realized that, you know, COVID has basically shut it down in your mind, were you like, okay, here we go. Like, this is the test of my years and years of backpacking experiences. Like this is the, you know, this is where I really get to kind of like prove to myself if I can handle this, like both in the hard skills and the soft skills, I guess. Uh, there was a moment of doubt. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, there was certainly a moment of doubt. There was a moment of just trying to figure out what was going on, but yes, when I got myself centered and I don't remember if it was a day or it was a couple hours or it was 20 minutes, yeah. I, I don't yeah. remember, but whenever I got centered, um, and I got grounded and I reached out to a couple of people so I could see that reflection. Yeah. I, I knew, I knew right there and then that it wasn't the time to prove anything. It wasn't time to try to be a hero or a martyr because people's lives were in danger. Yeah. So, it, so it wasn't a time to be cavalier about these decisions. 
I took it very seriously and sincerely. Yeah. But yes, when I got focused and I started looking at the methodology, it came, the methodology came to me immediately and I knew it and I put it on paper and we published it and I followed it. Um, and I knew, yeah, I, I knew I was like the last 20 years of backpacking have brought me to this moment. And it was trying. It was, I was afraid. I was joyous. Um, I was grateful. I was scared. I was all of these things at the same time, but yes, it, the focus came right there. All wow. of those years. That's so, I mean, that single moment. that is such a just kind of transformative feeling that you have where you're like, it's, it makes it clear what every single person experiences, which is like all your decisions, all your experiences have led you to right here, right now. Um, but you, when you have like such a unique giant thing, like wrench almost thrown in your plans, it, it really brings that to focus. It's game time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, man, well, Rue, how can people help out the American Perimeter Trail or like follow along? Because obviously, like you said, this is a lifelong journey for you um, putting this thing together. So how can we support you? How can we follow along with the all the future adventures to come? Great. Thank you for that question. So uh, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at the American Perimeter Trail Project. And you can also follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Rue McKenrick. Um, and then besides that, we have a website, which is www.americanperimetertrailproject.weebly.com. And on that website, you can make uh, monetary contributions if you like. Um, we will be taking memberships but we're working on a new website at this point in time. So whenever that comes, we'll put it out there. So that's one way to follow us. And that's one way to contribute. You can also go on to our Facebook page where the coordinator Layla Grace has put an Amazon wish list, And those are all supplies for the trek. So oh, all sweet. that stuff. That yeah. And it's been great. I mean, that's how a lot of my resupplies got filled was from people going onto the wish list. And just picking like what they wanted to contribute to the trek. So some of that was food, some of that was gear or apparel. Um, and those are the best ways to find us. Always feel free to message us. I get back to people when I can. Um, sometimes I don't. Sometimes Layla gets yeah. back to people. And I also just wanted to let you know that we've recently brought on a PR person, and her name is Danny. And so she's joining us and I just wanted to give her a shout out as well as Layla. That's cool. Yeah. I'll link, I'll make sure to link all that stuff, uh, in the show notes for people, but I would like highly, you know, if you're, if you're into just any sort of outdoor activity, like having a trail that goes around the whole entire country is something that, that I think we need. Like, I think that's just, like I said at the beginning, I, I just, I'm trying to picture someone getting on the American perimeter trail and doing the whole entire thing, getting back to that same exact spot they left from and just imagining how they have changed through that experience is, is really inspiring to me. 
Absolutely. Thank you for those words, you know, and, it, you know, Edward Abbey, it's like, you know, I, one of his quotes was like, the idea of wilderness, you know, it needs no defense. It only needs defenders. Yeah. So, so I think the American per- perimeter trail, it kind of sells itself. Yeah. <laughs> we all, we all, I mean, deep down in, there's a yearning for that, I think. It's, oh. And it's Americana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, Rue, thank you for coming on the show, man. Uh, I really appreciate it. And yeah, I would love to have you back on, um, you know, after you, you head back out there. Great. I would really enjoy that. And this has been my pleasure. Awesome. All right, ladies and gents, that wraps up the episode. Uh, huge thanks to Rue. Thank you for coming on. Uh, please go on and support the American Perimeter Trail. Um, it's just something I think should exist. You know what I mean? I, I think it's a, uh, I love having these giant um, quests out there for people to strive for. Right. And I mean, like I said, I think towards the beginning of this episode, um, just imagining leaving my house and jumping on this trail and then doing a lap around the whole entire country and then the finish line is right where I begun and imagining just how much I would have changed through that journey and the person I would have left as and the person I would be returning as. There's just something poetic about it that uh, really inspires me. And I think the more people who can take this thing on, uh, the better, the better off we'll be. <laughs> um, so huge thanks to Rue. Uh, I want to say thank you to Justin Sorensen. Um, Justin basically connected me to the American. It was something I never heard of. I, I hadn't heard of this project. Um, but Justin on Facebook, uh, they were asking of like, hey, you know, what kind of podcast would be into hearing this story? And he suggested Like a Bigfoot Podcast. And yeah, dude, I'm 100% in for any story of adventure. So uh, if you guys are out there and you know somebody who's, you know, taken on an amazing goal or you're just like, hey, this guy is really interesting or this lady is really interesting. We'd love to hear their story on the podcast or, you know, I would love to have them have some sort of voice or platform to share on. Uh, always feel free to send me a message. Um, you can find us on Instagram or Facebook or just like a Bigfoot at Gmail. But yeah, I would love that. Um, I, I've just really appreciated hearing all sorts of different perspectives about, you know, a variety of different adventures. So, um, so yeah, uh, next week is Thanksgiving. So we have a, we have something I'm really thankful for coming up. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else is going to be thankful for it. I don't think people were clamoring for the episode that's coming up, uh, except I know one person who's clamoring for it. Me, baby, me. Um, <laughs> we're going to do, uh, we're bringing my friend Travis Steffen back on the podcast. My friend Brandon Sweat is going to help me co-host and we're going to hear Travis Steffen's ultimate guide to sports movies. Um, I love movies. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I love sports movies. I love serious sports movies. I love historical sports movies. 
I love cheesy sports movies. I love kids sports movies, right? I just love movies where someone makes a speech, there's a montage, there's a coach who doesn't want to coach, and then they go out there and they either win or they come up short, but ultimately they win because they learned some lessons. Um, so next week, the whole entire podcast is dedicated to Travis Steffen's Ultimate Guide to Sports Movies. We're going to talk about 10 different categories uh, and a lightning round and a special segment I like to call Travis Steffen Describes the Plot of a Movie. Um, I finished editing it this week. It's super fun. It's ridiculous. It's a complete, uh, you know, like 90 degree turn. <laughs> turn from what we usually do on the on the podcast but I was just like I called Travis up I'm like dude I need to talk about pointless stuff for like two hours and we need to giggle a lot and make references to high school football that's what I need in my life right now um for you know mental health and and <laughs> and just a good time so uh the podcast is really fun Something I'm super excited for. Will you learn a lot? I don't know. Will you be inspired? Maybe. You might be inspired to go watch some movies. Um, but will you be entertained? Hopefully. That's the goal. <laughs> uh, yeah, so come back next week um, for that. And yeah, like I said, support American Perimeter Trail. Um, super cool idea. Um, we need more creative uh adventurers like rue out there all right guys we'll see you next week